I'd be the weirdest podcast ever. Welcome to the Man Space Podcast, a show for dudes and people who care about dudes. On the Man Space Podcast, we talk about issues that affect men and their relationships, issues like depression, anxiety, communication, and sex, and what these issues look like specifically for dudes and how to work through them with integrity and purpose. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Manspace Therapy and on our website, the-manspace.com. We're your hosts, Drs. Matt Brown and Rob Porter, and clinical therapist, Mike Porter. Welcome back, spacemen. You don't know this, but we're in a fort that we built to create perfect sound, because today is a special treat. We are interviewing Dr. Stephen Harris, who is a good friend of ours. He is currently a professor at the University of Minnesota in the Couple and Family Therapy Program, right? Steve, that's what it's called? Yep. Okay. And more specifically, kind of where you've been focusing for the last little while is um, you are the Associate Director of the Minnesota Couples on the Brink Project, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So why don't, as we've talked a little bit, why don't you tell us what that is and, and what it is you do and where your focus has been the last little while? Okay. Um, well, my, my work at the University of Minnesota has been kind of uh, in, in two parts. Uh, one part is my, my clinical stuff, the way that I, I'm a family therapist, a couple, I specialize in doing couples therapy with couples on the brink of divorce. And so my colleague, uh, William Doherty, Bill Doherty, for those who know him, uh, and I wrote a textbook on a, a counseling method, a way of um, helping couples that are on the brink of divorce. Um, one of the challenges that couples therapists uh, face is that when a couple is trying to decide whether they should stay married or not, uh, or break up their relationship or not, usually one person is kind of leaning in and the other person is leaning out. And that's a real difficult dynamic for the typical couples therapist to work with because couples therapy is built around the idea that we're trying to connect these two people together. And when you've got one person who's ambivalent or leaning out of the relationship, not sure they want to be there, it's really hard to get traction when all of your interventions are about bonding and connection and you know increasing uh, good feelings and things like that. What you need is a space where um, those couples can kind of individually kind of uh, and together figure out what direction they're going to go. So we, we've pioneered this um, approach called discernment counseling. And that's really what keeps me busy in my clinical work. In my, with my research work, I, I do a lot of work on divorce decision-making. As social scientists, you know, years ago when we started this line of research, we realized that we know a lot about the transitions that um, divorce introduces to family life and the challenges it, it introduces. Uh, we know the causes of divorce um, and we know what happens after divorce, but we didn't know what was going on in this space when people were actually thinking about getting a divorce. And so really for the last five, six years, I've been kind of focusing on that in my research. And we've published many articles about how people are thinking about, you know, where they go and what they do. And one of the things we know, one of the big things we know is that when people are in this space, they lack clarity and confidence in, in making a decision about how to go forward. They're, they, they're challenged to, you know, think about the, the, the impact on their children if they have them or how their finances are going to be div uh, divided and developed and, and, and shifted around. They worry about how much happiness they deserve to have in life and whether how much love they should have, those kinds of things. And so a ver across a variety of dimensions, people have these concerns and they 
oftentimes don't get a space to to think about and to articulate how they're thinking about those things. So we try to do that in our, in our clinical approaches to uh, couples on the brink of divorce. Yeah. What, when you're thinking about the research side, like all the different factors that go into it, like we hear all the time, people say like, you know, if you're staying together just for the kids, you shouldn't do that. Or um, if you're staying together just because financially it would be ugly, that's a mistake. You know, you should really only stay together with somebody if you really love them. Um, have you found that to be true in some of the research or are all, are these other things that we say that shouldn't matter? Do they actually matter more than, than we think we sh- they should, I guess? I, you know what? I mean, so let, let me, let me start by saying everyone's divorce path or marriage path is, is going to be different, right? The, the thing that we really try to do is we try to slow down the process. Um, sometimes you can get lawyers involved that want to push the process when someone's ambivalent. When someone's ambivalent and they're on the fence about something, you don't want to be the reason that they feel like they've been pushed off that fence or pulled off that fence. You want them to come down off that fence themselves and own their decision, right? You don't want someone to feel like, I made this decision and now I regret it and now I'm even more resentful for you that I got the divorce or didn't get the divorce or whatever it is. So providing people with that space is, is really important to let them have their own process own the things that they're thinking about, that they're worried about, give voice to them. Um, we, you know, it's the thing that, that I'm finding in my clinical work is that a lot of these couples that are on the brink of divorce, they just don't have the space. We, we're not good as a, as a culture and a society to give people the space to, to live and operate in that gray area. You know, like most often people come in and they don't really, most people don't hate their partner. <laughs> They're feeling unfulfilled, they're having challenges, they're not connecting, but they don't wish ill will upon their partner. They don't, they don't want to see them, you know, dragged through the mud and hurt. And they love their kids. They love their, they love their extended families, you know, their in-laws and things like that. So people just need a place to, to, to have some conversation around what they're going. Oftentimes, um, these couples get into therapist's office and the therapists have a hard time dealing with the gray and the therapists are forcing the couples to push an agenda like, Hey, you should get out or you should, you know, you guys probably need to get a divorce. And of course it's horrible therapy to tell someone they need to be getting a divorce. I mean, we're our codes of ethics in almost all mental health disciplines talk about respecting the autonomy of, of our clients in their own decision-making. So, but I think a lot of couples therapists get frustrated that the couples aren't responding to their usual treatments and, um, and they, Sometimes they they fall back on maybe you guys just shouldn't be together. Um, I think that happens more out of therapist frustration and therapist buy into only one side of the narrative than than really hearing both both perspectives. I think it's um, an interesting point you bring up. Like at, at another time, another episode, actually, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the nature of of therapy, couples therapy, because um, I've had some people say, hey, "How come therapists always do this?" Um, but it's it's interesting to say their own frustration. I know as a therapist, I felt before like you guys need to do to make some movement because if you don't, you're paying me and what the crap am I doing? So this has to be I need, I'm going to push you like you're saying, I'm going to push you one direction or the other so that I feel like I've done something. And I it actually kind of in my head segues into this thing that, you, that we've talked about a little bit before, um, Steve, that you mentioned earlier to us, this idea that like that 
that gray space sometimes I think means confronting what my own crap is. Like if I'm sitting with a client, for example, and they're not moving, then I can feel inadequate as a therapist. Like, oh, I, I need to do a better job. But I see a lot of times when couples will come in and I, I one of the things I've kind of started making a, a regular speech, like in a first session is ther couples therapy will stall when you come in telling me all the things that your partner's doing, it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it totally. kind of ceases the process. But the thing is, Rob, is, is that I think we, you know, we are conditioned. I mean, we, we live in a society that's, that's very kind of a modern world where we, we like to look at cause and effect. Right. And so right. if there's something going wrong with my marriage, I'm automatically looking at all the things that could be causing it. And unfortunately we are horrible as human beings to look at ourselves first. You know, uh, and I'll have people say, like, I'll have people come in and they'll, you know, they'll have their partner diagnosed, you know, and, and sometimes this falls on gender lines, you know, like the men will come in and say, I've been, you know, hey, doc, I've been looking out on the Internet and I, I think my wife has got this thing called borderline personality disorder. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I ever heard of it? Yeah. And the, and the men and, the, and the, the women come in and they, they say, you know, they've been out on the Internet as well. And they they say their husband has narcissistic personality disorder. Now, these things exist. I mean, you can you can certainly find these things, but I don't think we're finding it in the natural world to the same degree that I see it with my couples that are on the brink of divorce and they're looking for an explanation. And sometimes getting so focused on your partner's um, issues and challenges and what they're bringing to the relationship uh, clouds your view of looking at yourself. And sometimes what I'll see is I'll, I'll, I'll have people come in and they'll be ratting out their partner, for example, or talking about the challenges that they're experiencing with their partner. That's probably more of a scientific way to say it. I like um, ratting out. Instead of ratting <laughs> out. And, um, and then they'll say things like, you know, hey, hey, I'm not, I'm no saint, you know, I've got my own issues. And I'm like, okay, let's go back to you not being a saint. What, is, you know, what does that mean? And usually that, you, you know, usually they, they haven't done as deep a dive in their own stuff as they have in their partner's. And, and the reality is that you only you can only control what you do and how you show up. You know, in the in the the AA tradition, you know, the AA tradition talks about cleaning your side of the street and understanding that you have to let other people clean their side of the street. Um, but that's a that's a hard concept for a lot of us to, um, to to get at because when we're thinking about leaving our partner or divorcing, we start to build a case for why we need to get out of the relationship. And, and usually no relationship is 100% awful. I'm sure there are some out there, right? But usually they're, they're not 100% awful. So you have to start amplifying those negative things, those negative traits and attributes of your partner. Um, and so we get so used to, to building a case for why our partner needs to be dumped or why we need to get out. And we don't spend an adequate time looking at how we show up in our couple processes, um, looking, how, looking at how our own issues, maybe our own traumas, maybe our own... Uh, family of origin influences, you know, a host of things might be showing up and how we could be doing things differently. Well, that's, I, I think we, we have a tendency as people, we, we want to feel justified and validated in our, in our decisions. When we're angry, we want to feel justified in that anger. And so I think that's where a lot of that, that building the case you're talking about comes from is look at, like I'm feeling shortchanged. I'm feeling cheated. I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling underappreciated. I need to feel justified in that. And I need someone to be on my side. Well, I think too, it's a way I, I work with a lot of couples when they get divorced or they're getting divorced 
even through discernment stuff that I've done, um, where we talk about the idea of needing to control the narrative. If I'm going to blow this building up, there has to be good, justifiable reason as to why I'm blowing this up. And if it turns out that it's me, that I lit the fuses and I, then it's too much to handle. It's too much to swallow. And so I do think it makes it specifically with the work you're doing, Steve, when you talk about discernment, I think that's a really hard, that's a massive blow up beyond just like, cause that's like saying, I'm going to wreck 10 people's lives. Um, it feels that way anyway. And so that's bigger than like, yeah, I'm really mad at my partner, but I, that that's some, I was having like visceral reactions when you say that, that like you get people who come in and say, I mean, I've got my own stuff to work on, believe me, but he or she, you know, and I, right. when, when clients, that's me, Let's it's focus like, there. yeah, it's like, they're trying to, they're trying to pull away my power by saying, no, no, I know I have stuff to work on. No, don't confront me. Right. And it's like, well, now that's all I want to do is confront you. Cause what are you trying to hide from me? Tell me exactly what it is. And it doesn't seem I, I believable think- to me. And I think that one of the most powerful things that we do in, in this discernment counseling approach is we help couples understand that that they can develop a pattern of interacting with each other. And we even label it, right? We call it a pursue, withdraw pattern uh, or a withdraw, withdraw, attack, withdraw, attack, attack. I mean, we therapists use these, these, these terms in this language to kind of de- describe how people approach each other and how people give or don't give each other space in the relationship. And, and oftentimes I'm surprised to find out that when I highlight the couple's pattern, you know, and I'll say, so it sounds like this is what happens. You know, you have something you want to say, but you're a little conflict avoidant. And so you, you hold back and your partner comes to you and asks, but you don't want to talk immediately. So you retreat a little bit and then that your partner comes and kind of pursues you. And so when I map out these patterns, they're like, yeah, this is what happens. And, and when people can see their part in the pattern, then they have the opportunity to change it. And that's ultimately what one of the things that we do is, is ask people, would you be willing to try and change how you show up in the relationship for a period of time? Uh, to see if you could get your relationship back to a healthy place. I mean, the reality is, especially if we're talking marriage, most people start their marital journeys, their relationship journeys, uh, wanting to be with someone for a long time. Um, and when they're in my office, they're they're saying, hey, I'm not sure. I don't have this clarity. I don't have this confidence. I need to look at a variety of things to get my clarity and confidence about this before I make this decision. And, and there's a lot of people that I work with who have never gone to therapy. And there's a lot of people I work with who have gone to therapy three, four, five times, five different therapists. And, and sometimes they're getting horrible advice because it's a, it's a different way the therapist has to show up to provide space uh, for both people. Because in essence, what you're saying, you're saying to one person, you have legitimate reasons to want to get out of this relationship. Are you willing to hear ways that you might be able to turn this ship around? And to the other person, you're saying, your partner is making a big decision and needs some space to make this decision. Are you willing to look at yourself and see how you can show up in a different way uh, while they do that? So, uh, and both of those things are are hard to ask, but if people get their head around it, um, there's a lot of healthy communication that goes on. And and some people end up divorcing, of course, and some people end up trying to work it out. And um, sometimes those efforts are successful and other times they're not so successful. Well, I know in past conversations about this, you've when you described discernment counseling, you, you've highlighted that <clears throat> there maybe this approach isn't for people where both parties are sure that divorce is their best option, right? It's for people who where at least one partner isn't sure that's the best option. Yep. 
Yeah, um, we say that if you if you're lacking clarity or confidence, this is uh, this is the approach for you. But if you have if you know you want to get a divorce and you feel like you've you know you've you've turned over every stone, this is probably not the approach for you. So one thing, as you're talking about, you know, would you be willing to kind of take a look at yourself? Um, one thing we've talked about a lot is guys that are in kind of in a mandated way. Their wife or partner has said. Hey, our relationship's basically on the brink. I'm unhappy. You go fix yourself. And it sometimes to them feels like the equivalent of like, go to your room, think about what you've done and come out when you're ready. Like come out when you're ready to tell me what, what you've done. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times in our work with those guys, it's hard for them to focus on anything other than getting the relationship right. Maybe because that's kind of the message they, they were given when they were sent. <clears throat> but it's hard to get some of those guys to think about what do you want? Um, because their problem is defined more as like, I was okay with our relationship, but you weren't. So that's my problem is that you're not okay with it. So I need to make you okay with it by showing you that I'm good enough or I can behave or whatever. But there's, there's really low insight into uh, what do you actually want? You know, what, yeah. what does a good relationship look like to you? And how do you want to change? Um, and maybe like you're saying, one of these partners in these ambivalent situations maybe falls more into that category. How do you, how do you approach them? Well, usually I'm, I mean, usually I'm working with both people, right? If, if you're, if the situation you're talking about, Matt, is where someone is kind of dropped off on your doorstep and they show up yeah. like, Hey, my partner wants me to be here. I have no idea what to talk about. That that's, that's a tough that's a tough gig to, to try and do because you can only work with what someone's saying. And, and when you're in individual therapy, I mean, this is my, this is why I'm a couples therapist. I always feel like there's all these questions. I don't know how to ask, don't know what to ask. I don't, you know, like yeah. you know, addiction and mm-hmm. um, you know, honesty and integrity. And um, it's just, there's so many different things, so many different points of entry. And so you have to go with what the client gives you. But if someone's going there because they're, they're like, I want my wife to not want to leave me, um, that's that, that can be a great temporary motivation. But that person is not likely to get to the place where it's like, oh, my gosh, I see how I'm showing up. I, I have I have an understanding of why my partner wants me to, you know, to, to pull my head out, to, to turn this thing around. Um, and sometimes. Unfortunately, some of us guys are a little like we're a little thick. We don't <laughs> we don't we don't get until our wife says, I'm leaving you. It's like, what? This is coming out of the blue. Like I remember <laughs> I remember I remember thinking sometime, like I had so many clients <clears throat> where the guy would say, I never saw this coming. I remember going to my wife one time saying, Is it possible that you're saying things that I just don't see coming at all? Are you like, leaving me? Yeah, are you are you leaving me? Because I'm thinking everything's going great. But I have all these clients, all these men coming in saying this, I was clueless. And the women are saying, I've been shouting it, you know, like I've been. So women are, are tapping into something that, that men are either not seeing or men's expectations in the relationship are a little different. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I yeah, think, no, I, I think to the point of like, I, I like what you're saying that like, that's why I'm a couples therapist, because individual relational therapy, seeing somebody by themselves for their relationship. Yeah, probably lends itself more to some of the some of the troubles you were describing earlier that 
well, if I'm with you and you're not happy in this relationship, let's make you happy and push you out instead of, um, or let's diagnose your partner because she's not here. And yeah, she sounds like she's got borderline, right? Um, Instead of, hey, you know, how, like you said, how are you showing up? Um, And, and on top of that, like, are you showing up in a way in the relationship where you know just as much about what you want as she knows about she, what she wants. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where like a lot of us men are kind of underdeveloped. We don't think so much about, Hey, what do I want out of this relationship other than I just want peace. Right. And, um, instead of, you know, I want, you know, you ask a woman what she wants in a relationship and maybe she could rattle that off much better. And guys would maybe just have one or two things to rattle off. Um, and like you said, that could be expectations, but, but if, if it's an equal partnership, we should both be thinking, deeply about what does a healthy relationship look like to me so I can advocate for that on my side too. And we can build this together. Yeah. And, and, you know, Matt, that's a, that's a real generational kind of thing. Like I think our generation is putting way more emphasis on what they're getting out of their relationship. I mean, nowadays as a, as a a relationship partner uh, in a committed, you know, long-term relationship in marriage or something like that, you're expected to be your partner's intellectual equal. You're supposed to be this amazing sexual being. You're supposed to be the security and the provider and the breadwinner and the the tender, you know, a girlfriend that can engage in pillow talk. And like, I think I think we have a lot of expectations um, on our contemporary, long-term committed relationships and our marriages. Um, and and people didn't do this before. Yeah, John mm-hmm. Gottman's made a, a living out of telling people things like, hey, we're expecting too much from our relationships and people need to chill out a little bit about what they're what, what they're hoping to get. I think I think I read somewhere that, that one of his statistics was that, you know, 70 percent of the things we fight about as couples are things that we can't really change about ourselves. You know, yeah. Whether you're a morning person or night person or, you know, introvert, extrovert. And yet these things kind of occupy a lot of our energy in our relationships because we're expecting our partners to be so much more than, than we ever thought our partners should be in, in marriage, uh, historically speaking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I mean, I think maybe that's a great aspirational thing. Like I, I want to be with someone who's adventurous and I want them to do all the same things I do and stuff, but it is a little unrealistic when you're realizing you are marrying a different person, you are committing your life to a different person. Right. Yeah, and Steve, I know you gotta. We gotta let you go. I um, just to kind of put some a couple points on this that I think matter to people. Not just showing up to discernment counseling or to therapy, but just in relationships. If you took that idea, if we focus too much on what we get out of relationships, as opposed to what we are putting into it. Like I don't. Hopefully, right? People will hear this and think, "Oh, I need to start looking at me." And how things I need to shift and change going forward in order to make this be what I want it to be and and to take a little more responsibility in how I got it to where it is that needs to shift. I think the more we can start to do that, the more um, the dynamic starts to move because I'm going to I'm, I'm approaching very differently now. If I walk up to my spouse or my partner and say, hey, I, I think I've messed these things up and I don't want to be that kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I had a conversation with that with a client yesterday morning saying, dude, this exact thing, my wife wants to leave. How do I make her stay? Instead of saying, look, if she leaves and you get another relationship, will this just happen again? Do you need to look at yourself and say, Hey, what am I doing? That's kind of pulling this apart. I need to look at my own stuff 
and and a, and a personal plug as a therapist and, and reaching points of frustration, please don't go online and diagnose anybody. <laughs> And don't go to a therapist. Let us do that. Don't, don't go to a therapist who says they specialize in working with like spouses of a narcissist. <laughs> Whenever I hear that, I think, well, who decided this spouse was a narcissist? Yeah, yeah. Um, just because, yeah, I can't diagnose somebody who's not in my office. It's not, and I'm not huge on diagnosis anyway. It's not where I like to focus because I like that relational element so much. Right. But I, I think to kind of highlight and pull out um, too, Steve, is there a a, a directory? For people who are maybe on the brink of divorce, feeling like I'm right there or I've filed for divorce, but I'm not sure. I've got a lot of couples like that. Is there a, a website or a resource, not just for Minnesota, but maybe a larger nationwide directory that people can go to to find people who specialize in this discernment counseling? Yeah, my um, my buddy, Bill Doherty, has, a, has a, a list like that. He's trained a bunch of discernment counselors across the country, um, the DRI.org. So Doherty Relationship Institute. If you Googled the Doherty Relationship Institute, you could probably come across a, a directory of people by state who have been through some good discernment counseling training. Um, folks are welcome to reach out to me at the University of Minnesota if they wanted to chat about this as well. So, okay. And Doherty, by the way, is spelled D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, correct? Correct. <laughs> Check me out. Not <laughs> <Doherty. stayed> up. <laughs> Well, Steve, thank you. We appreciate you being on. We'll let you get off and, and go do the stuff you got to do and be university. To, I, I can't even say it. I, be professional. Okay. All right. Good to be with you guys. Take care. Hey, wait, wait. Just so I can tell you, I wish I could see you in person, man. I freaking love you. Oh, well, I like that. <laughs> I'll take it. Take care, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me. You too. Thanks. So that would wrap up our session today, our, our podcast. So as per usual, like us on Facebook. You can record this later. Dang it. <laughs> well, maybe I want to say it now. Go to Instagram, Twitter. All right, I'll record it later. <laughs> See you next time on The Man Space. <laughs> <laughs>